Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, that he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank y'all. What a treat. What a treat to have y'all with us this morning from All Saints in Atlanta. I'm, I'm struck by the words of Paul this morning, he is talking about how the Spirit unites us as the body of Christ. The Spirit that unites us, it draws us together and connects us. It's a beautiful and extraordinary image of drawing us all together. And I think that coming from Atlanta, you make that even more poignant this morning when we are joined together to make sacred music and imagine how our faith and spirit unites us um, with no geographical boundaries. It's a beautiful image, so we're glad that y'all are here. I've been dwelling on this image of being united, um, and I want to be really bold this morning. If y'all bear with me, I think I know what's wrong with our country. think that what's going on is that we have gotten in this trap where we believe that we as individuals or that our individual groups or our individual identities or party identities or whatever we want to believe, that kind of individualism, we believe that we can solve all of our problems alone. And to tie this back to Scripture, I think it's one of the same issues that is taking place in Corinth. Now, I've been here for a year, so it's much time that if I can do anything I want to impart on you is um, a love for Wendell Berry, and I know I've, I've shared some of his books with some of our congregation, but my favorite is Jaber Crow, and at the end of the day, I'll be satisfied if the only thing you take from this is a love of Wendell Berry. 
Did you see what I just did there? I took individualism into my ministry. The book's about a young man who drops out of seminary to become the town barber of a fictional town in Kentucky. So I know what I can do if this doesn't work out. And the story takes place in the early 1900s when the world was young in many ways. And and one of my favorite characters in the book, besides the barber, is is the old old man in town, Athy Keith, who's a farmer. And I love the way that he has this view of the world and his relationship to the land. And it's one that inspires me, and it constantly challenges me. He's described as using his land conservatively. Um, In any year, by far, the greater part of his land would be under grass. And he's always studying the land and looking for ways of improving his land. And he understands this interesting relationship between his livestock and the available feed, um, just as between the fertility of his land and the demands upon it. And this kind of, this view, we, we adopt that now, I think, if you're into gardening, is kind of permaculture, where everything works together in this really beautiful relationship, and, and the parts of the farm are rotated each year, and the animals fertilize the land, um, and his land provides enough, and, and with his own kind of tempered sense of worth, more than enough. He even has 75 acres um, a very good timber that he refuses to sell, but he'd harvest enough firewood and then he'd go and, and, and just spend time in the woods in his sacred space. You might not be surprised to hear that he has this beautiful daughter who marries an overly ambitious man, Troy, who has a very different set of principles. Troy would say many times, never let a quarter's worth of equity stand idle. Troy has this understanding that the farm exists to serve and enlarge him, and he does well at first. He buys a tractor, and he uses its profits to put down a payment for more land and more equipment, and as the farm grows, he borrows more and more money from the bank in order to be able to work the land. And he sees the goal of farming as this extraction of the resources in order to provide his life. And in this way, he is um, butting up considerably with the worldview of his father. In just kind of this humorous way, the, father leaves, the father-in-law leaves the, the farm to his daughter alone for Troy to always be a tenant, never an owner, um, as their principles are so at odds. If I'm honest with myself, I see my, my, my own identity being more like Troy's, at least if I'm not conscious about my own actions. And I, I don't believe he's not malicious in the story. He's an incredibly kind and generous person. He just wants a prosperous life for his family or for his wife. He wants to care for their children and provide beyond his means. But as Barry is a one who's kind of challenging our relationship to the land, he's drawing attention to Troy, how he fails to see the larger picture, that balance where the animals and the land and all that was planted support each other. He is abandoning centuries worth of wisdom 
with knowledge that is from the technological revolution without understanding what's, what's taking place. He doesn't have the wisdom and ego to resist. I love this illustration because it unpacks one of the fundamental challenges of life, that as we evolve and innovate, we're moving faster than our awareness of what is taking place. I think this probably has always been a human truth. We think about all the technology, the electricity, then cars, and now we've got computers and smartphones, and we think that we're interconnected with everyone and we're sharing ideas around the globe instantaneously, and we would think that our lives are vastly better than they were. And maybe to some extent we are. But if you notice that subtle shift as it puts emphasis on the individual. Think about it. How many friends you have on social media? That's an individual claim. Or you can work out on, at home on a TV screen in a virtual class, that's what I'm guilty of. Or we can answer our medical questions through the internet or some health app. Or thanks to Birmingham, we can now order our groceries without ever talking to another human being and all for the sake of being productive. I mean, we live in this life, this age of maximizing our productivity and efficiency, right? I mean, even Christianity's turned into this. All that focus on personal salvation. I mean, if you can alone, if you just accept Jesus Christ in your heart, all will be well, right? I get it, there is some value in the individual. But at the core of Christianity is community. That is why the body of Christ as a community of faithful is one of the primary theological images we see over and over again in the epistles. That's why I think the character that Barry creates is so brilliant and honest. It's Troy's individualism and what he can draw from the land that is his downfall. He fails to see the land as working together. He fails to see this, this beautiful economy that needs each other. I think Paul's image, this body of Christ where everyone is necessary for the well-being of the community. It's this image in mind that leads us to see life not as an answer or faith as a, as a goal or a plan of salvation, but it's a community that works together. A body of Christ. A beautiful economy of existence and meaning of us supporting each other as opposed to the extraction of individual worth. Our actions, our behavior, the way we live our life, is not about our individuality. It's about our relationship with those next to us. And maybe this is why it's so hard to be in community. It's not natural for us to see our individual identity, uh, to lose that. It's, um, it runs against what society teaches us. That drive to be Troy is at odds with our need to thrive in an interdependent relationship. In a moment, we get to come up here and share a meal. We get to sip from one chalice. We get to be united 
is the body of Christ. We get to be united with the body of Christ throughout this world. It's this idea that all of us are in this work of being the body together, that we need each other. I suspect that this view, at least if it's limited to our faith tradition, our individual community of faith, while countercultural and challenging to implement, is also easy to swallow. But the ultimate thrust of Christianity is to broaden our understanding of community. And our world is hungry to rebel against the sin and drive of the individual. But to that, we must find the value in our shared humanity. May we be emboldened in our faith to see the value and necessity of each other. Humanity being forced together to be the image of God. May we be inspired by that image that our life together is like a beautiful farm, all of us working together to take care of the land. All of us are necessary. Every one of you has a role to play. Every person that we encounter has gifts and is a part of the body of Christ. The chalice that unites us calls us into this world to unlock and see the body of Christ being made manifest in this world. Amen.